Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Um, Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, The scene that we are entering today or the scene we've been invited to today is one week after Jesus has risen from the dead. It's one week after the resurrection. And Thomas, Tommy, our pal Tommy, Thomas, one of the 12, the 12 disciples, uh, he's not buying it. He's not buying it that Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, Thomas hasn't seen Jesus yet. You might remember uh, that a week ago, uh, Jesus revealed himself. He showed up in the upper room and he met with the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. For some reason, Thomas was absent from school that day. And so he didn't get to see Jesus. So he hasn't seen Jesus yet. And he's just not buying it that Jesus is alive. I appreciate Thomas so much. I love Thomas. I I understand Thomas, I feel like. I feel like I can relate to Thomas a little bit. I'm so glad that this story is recorded for us, this encounter between Jesus and Thomas, because I can relate very much. I'm going to ask a few questions and, uh, and then provide some more questions and maybe a few answers as we consider this encounter that Thomas has with Jesus. And the first question is simply this, what is Thomas's problem? <laughs> What's wrong? What, what, what is the beef that he has? What's his problem? I think that Thomas is kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy. And Thomas thinks that words mean what they say, right? He's a no-nonsense kind of guy, and words mean what they say. So if you say Jesus is alive, you better mean it, because that's not funny. That's no joke to him. You better mean it if you're going to say Jesus is alive. I think that Thomas just couldn't or wouldn't give himself over to a wish dream. And I think it's because he was crushed by Jesus' death. He can't separate faith and reason, Thomas. He couldn't believe unless he had some reason to believe. I think this is what Thomas's problem was. Our next question is, why did he stay away? You know, where was Thomas, by the way? Why was he not there the week before? And I think that it's maybe because Thomas was crushed by Jesus' death. Think about this. Three years with Jesus. Three years Thomas had been accompanying Jesus, listening to Jesus, watching Jesus do amazing things, showing miraculous signs, healing people who were sick, restoring people back to life. Amazing stuff. 
For three years, Thomas believed with all of his heart that Jesus was God's great rescuer, that Jesus was the great redeemer and restorer. And to see Jesus crucified on the cross, to see him die there on the cross, I think that Thomas also saw his hope die on the cross. I wonder if Thomas felt a sense of betrayal. I think maybe he did. I can imagine him saying, Jesus, you know, you, you said that you were the one who came to give us life to the fullest, but now you're dead in Thomas's point of view. I wonder if he felt a little betrayed by that. Is this why he wasn't in the upper room a week ago when Jesus first appeared to the other disciples? Was he mourning? Was he grieving? Was he too broken to hang out with the people that he associated with his time with Jesus? I mean, these these disciples were the folks that he had spent also these three years with believing that Jesus was the one. And maybe it just hurt too bad to hang out with them since Jesus had died. Well, what would you have done? What would have been going through your mind if you were Thomas? Imagine those three years with Jesus and then now he was dead. Imagine you were him. What would you have been feeling? How would you have responded to his death on the cross? You know, I want to invite you just a couple minutes maybe to turn to your neighbor and just share. How would you have responded? What maybe would have been going through your mind if you were in Thomas's shoes? You knew Jesus had died, but you couldn't yet believe that he was alive. What would have been going through your mind? Just take a couple of minutes and share with your, with your neighbor. Go for it. If I am honest, and I think maybe if you are honest, then we can relate a little bit to Thomas. Because it would have hurt so bad, and it's just so unbelievable, the whole resurrection thing, right? So how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to Thomas's unbelieving? Jesus says to the disciples, including Thomas now, the same thing that he had said a week earlier to the disciples when Thomas wasn't there. He said to them in verse 26, peace be with you. I love Jesus. Peace be with you. This is what Jesus, the Prince of Peace, offers his disciples. Peace. My peace I give you. Not The kind of peace that is simply a lack of conflict or a lack of difficulty or a lack of tension, but that unmistakable presence of relational wholeness. 
what that Hebrew, that wonderful Hebrew word shalom refers to, this deep and abiding peace that comes from a place of relational wholeness, relational wholeness with the living God and with ourselves and with one another. When Jesus shows up, peace fills the room. Then Jesus says this wonderful thing. He says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. It's referring to his wounds. It's in verse 27. What's most surprising to me and most astounding to me is what Jesus doesn't say here. Jesus does not say to Thomas, oh, ye of little faith. Jesus doesn't say to Thomas, I can't believe that you can't believe. Jesus doesn't say to Thomas, man, what is wrong with your heart? Jesus simply meets Thomas in his time of need. Put your finger here, Thomas. See my hands? Jesus is so gracious and he's so merciful. And this leads me to a couple of difficult questions. For example, how does the church respond to those who are having a difficult time exercising faith? Do we respond the same way that Jesus responded to Thomas, graciously, patiently? How do you respond to others who are having a difficult time exercising faith, who are having a difficult time believing? Do you respond graciously, and patiently and mercifully? Or maybe more personally, how have other Christians responded to you, maybe even now or in the past, when you have had a difficult time exercising faith, when you have had a difficult time believing? This encounter that Thomas has with Jesus is a reminder to us, an invitation to us, maybe even a command to us, to be patient and kind and gracious and merciful with those who are wrestling through questions of faith. Finally, Jesus says to Thomas, he says, be not unbelieving, but believe. Be not unbelieving, but believe. It's in verse 27, and, and that verse, when Tanya read it in our translation today, and in most translations that you read, it will say something like, do not doubt, but believe. That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. That's why he gets kind of a bad rap. I think it's a little unfair. But that word doubt isn't actually the word that's used in the original language, the original Greek that's written in our New Testaments. The original word there is literally unbelieving. The Greek word for believing is pistos. And the word that's used there is apistos. In other words, not believing or unbelieving. Jesus says, Thomas, be not unbelieving. It's a little awkward. I think that's why it often gets translated as doubt. Be not unbelieving, but, but believe, Thomas. Is unbelieving the same as doubt, by the way? I don't know. But what I do know is Jesus says to Thomas, friend, stop not believing and begin believing. Jesus loves Thomas. He loves him so much. You can see it. You can, you can feel it in this text. Jesus loves Thomas. 
Thomas. And this helps us understand why Thomas responded to Jesus the way that he did. So the next question is, how did Thomas respond to Jesus? And the text, the scripture doesn't actually tell us whether or not Thomas took Jesus up on his offer and put his finger in Jesus' side. The scripture doesn't actually tell us, so we don't know for sure whether or not Thomas, you know, took the time to sort of carefully inspect the wounds on Jesus' hand. We don't know, but we do know that Jesus invited him to, that he could have. And we do know that Thomas immediately breaks out in a statement of faith, this magnificent statement of faith. And Thomas, he just cries out, my Lord and my God. Right now, during this season of ministry, our nominating committee has nominating a number has nominated uh, a number of new deacons and elders, and we will have the opportunity to vote on those um, in a few in a few weeks. But one of the things that our new elders and deacons do is um, is we invite them to write down their statement of faith. What is it that you believe about God, about who Jesus is? This is Thomas's statement of faith. It's very simple. Four words. No, five. Five in English. My Lord and my God. It's actually the same language that the Greeks used in order to address Caesar. It's the same language that the Jews used in order to address Yahweh. So we know that, that Thomas is at least saying here, he's saying Caesar is not Lord. Caesar is not the Lord of the cosmos. Jesus is Lord. We know that Thomas is at least saying here that Jesus is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God revealed to us in what we call the Old Testament, the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus is that God in human flesh, my Lord and my God. And it's so personal. Note that Thomas doesn't say, the Lord and the God of the universe, which would have been true. That would have been an accurate statement, but it wouldn't have been personal. Thomas recognizes here in Jesus, that same man who he believed to be the living God with whom he hung out for three years. This was the Jesus he knew before. The Lord whose cosmic authority commanded obedience. This is the same God who commands and calms the winds and the waves with a simple word. But Thomas recognized that this was also the same Jesus whose kindness said to a little girl who had died, child, get up. And she did. This was the same Lord who in his kindness said to the woman who had bled for 12 years, daughter, such tender language, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There's that word again, peace. When Jesus shows up, peace enters the room. Thomas recognized him. This was the same Jesus who was his friend. Note that Jesus, or Thomas rather, he doesn't say, he doesn't respond with, it's true. It's true that you're alive. The doctrine of the resurrection is correct. It's true. Thomas doesn't respond that way. He doesn't respond with a sort of complex theological argument, but rather with worship. My God and my Lord. 
It turns out that when we encounter the living God, or rather when he has an encounter with us, we respond in worship. My Lord and my God. And that's my hope for us today. That's my hope every time as we gather together regularly for worship, that as we have an encounter with the living God, we would respond, my God and my Lord, my friend and my Savior. So then what does Jesus do? How does he respond? How does Jesus respond to Thomas's believing? Verse 29, Jesus says this. He says, Thomas, you, uh, you have believed because you have seen me. It's kind of a question. Have you believed because you have seen me? I think that facts do not create faith. Seeing makes faith reasonable, but seeing doesn't actually make faith happen. Thomas needed a reason to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, and now he had one. He had a reason, and the reason was standing in front of him, scars and all. But seeing Jesus' scars, I don't think is what led Thomas to proclaim, my Lord and my God. Thomas believed, I think, because of Jesus' selfless offering of himself. Here Jesus was again, offering himself to Thomas yet again, See, Thomas, here, reach your hand in my side. Look at my hands. Put your finger here. Jesus, again, offering himself to Thomas. It's an encounter with the person of Jesus that caused Thomas to believe. Nothing else will do. No convincing argument will lead anyone to believe. Those arguments will give reasons to believe, but belief itself only comes through an encounter of the living God, through an encounter of Jesus himself. Have you opened your heart and your mind to an encounter with the risen Jesus? I appreciate Thomas so much because his story reminds us his story reminds us that Jesus invites all of us to bring all of our questions, all of our concerns, all of our unbelief to him, and that he will welcome us, that he will welcome us there. This story reminds us that the church ought to be and is the best place for anyone to bring their questions and their concerns and their unbelief and to wrestle with that. That this ought to be the best place for people to wrestle with God and to examine their faith. This encounter that Thomas has with Jesus reminds us also that faith and reason are not divergent pathways. Many of you know that my background is in engineering and I love science and, and many of you have a background in that as well. And so a sort of reasoned or logical approach to things is particularly appealing to you. And I want you to hear loud and clear faith and reason are not divergent pathways. In fact, faith without reason is merely a wish dream. Thomas's faith was a reasoned faith. He had reason to believe. In the language of Lee Strobel, that, who many of you are familiar with, Thomas had a case for Christ, and he was standing right in front of him. This is why Jesus, I think, says that the greatest commandment is this, 
The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your what? With all of your mind. That's right. I can imagine Jesus embracing Thomas in this loving embrace and saying, Thomas, I love you so much. And I'm so glad that you're using the mind I gave you. The other thing we learn from Thomas's encounter is that the result of these sorts of encounters is praise and worship. My Lord and my God. Praise and worship is what flows naturally out of an encounter with the living God. I love Thomas. I love this guy. But infinitely more important than that is the reality that Jesus loves Thomas. And Jesus welcomed Thomas's questions, Thomas's concerns, Thomas's unbelief. Jesus welcomed Thomas's honesty. Jesus welcomed Thomas's intellectual integrity. And just as Jesus welcomed Thomas and his questions, so he will welcome you and your questions. Jesus invites us, come, bring all that you are, bring all your concerns, all your doubts, all your questions, every way in which you struggle to believe and exercise faith. Bring all of that to me and I will receive you. I will meet you right where you are. And my prayer would be that Jesus would offer you the same version of what he offered Thomas. See my hands, see my side, reach out and, and touch me, experience my presence. Friends, we can trust that Jesus will meet us right there in the midst of our doubts, our questions, and our concerns. He met Thomas there. Certainly, he will meet you there too. And we have the chance to celebrate communion this morning, to gather around the communion table. And here is another place where Jesus meets us. Here at the table, when we gather and sit down with all of our imperfections and our concerns and our questions. And Jesus meets us here. So pray with me as we prepare to celebrate communion. Oh, gracious and living God, thank you that you meet us here at the table. Thank you that you are present at the table, that you've been present here long before we arrived this morning. Thank you, Jesus, that you offered yourself to Thomas and that you offer yourself to each of us. Thank you for the reminder that the table is to us, that you offered your body, your life, yourself. You shed your blood for us and for our sake, for the forgiveness of our sin, that we might live and believe in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.